0: Hello, fellow ag nerds. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich, and if you're interested in where innovative ideas meet practical realities in food production, you have found the right show. Today's episode is really one of those that I think embodies my vision for this show. It's the vision that you just heard me reference, where we take innovative ideas, in this case, the idea of artificial intelligence, and we look at the point in which it meets practical realities. The reason this is so important to me is, well, first of all, it's just so much easier to learn and understand new technologies if you can observe their use cases. And then secondly, I'm convinced that this intersection is really the best hope we have for getting a glimpse into the future of agriculture. We have on today's show Craig Gansel. He's the founder and CEO of FarmWave, which is an agriculture technology company that's transforming the world's ag information into AI data models that power decision-making and preserve the future of farming. We're really going to break down exactly what that means and how they're doing that, which I think there's some real gold in this episode. You'll hear about how Google Glass originally led Craig to agriculture, how artificial intelligence works and how it's applied to a variety of use cases, including predicting the weight of livestock and identifying crop diseases and also minimizing yield loss off of a combine. Before we dive in, though, I want to tell you about another podcast you ought to be listening to, which is Off Farm Income. I first discovered this show hosted by Matt Breckwald way back in 2015 when I was first starting to listen to ag podcasts. He's now up to almost a thousand episodes, publishing six of them every week featuring small businesses in agriculture, FFA SAE projects and rural crime stories and prevention tips. He's been helping people achieve a farming lifestyle since 2014. So if you love agriculture and love that farming lifestyle, this is the show for you. Find Off Farm Income on any podcast player or visit their website, www.offincome.com. Thank you, Matt, very much for supporting the Future of Agriculture podcast. Okay, back to today's episode, which is on artificial intelligence. So when we use AI today, that's the one we mean, which is an important distinction to make in ag. Another acronym that's also used in this episode is OEM, which stands for Original Equipment Manufacturer. So for our purposes, think the big ag equipment manufacturers, John Deere, Agco, Case IH, Class, that, that sort of thing. Craig Gansel first discovered artificial intelligence while serving in the United States Marine Corps as an intelligence communications operator with the joint special operations command. He was later honorably discharged in 2001 for medical reasons, and then Craig spent 15 years as a software engineer with Verizon Wireless prior to founding FarmWave. The company was originally going to build wireless infrastructure to support data, which was similar to the work he was doing at Verizon. But as I alluded to earlier, it was his enthusiasm for Google Glass that ultimately led him into agriculture. And he's going to tell the story. In fact, that's where I'm going to drop you into this fascinating conversation here with FarmWave CEO Craig Gansel. I was, you know,
1: using Google for my own purposes, like G Suite, or I guess now it's Workspace. Back then it was Google Apps for Work or something like that. but we were using that and people sort of noticed and recognized like wow you guys just you could literally work from anywhere on your laptop and have access to everything yeah absolutely and so they wanted more of that we became a reseller of of uh, Google Workspace for Google they were just starting to break into the cloud at that point and so we did a little bit of like partnership on reselling Google Cloud it was still very new but when it came out that they were launching Google Glass I was like, I got to do this. This is going to be like the next thing. This is taking what we did in the military on those little screens on those boxes and literally putting it hands-free in a heads-up display that that can work with your voice. And so here in Georgia, uh, I think you may know Bruce Rasa from Ag Voice Global, became a good friend of mine. And he later got a pair of Google Glass and he approaches me, like we don't even know each other. And this guy approaches me and he goes, hey, can I borrow your pair of Google Glass and take it to Tanzania on this trip for agriculture with Kip Tom and somebody from 4-H? And I'm like, what? Who are you? Like, what are you talking about? You know, do you much same cost? Like, and, and I had to go to New York and get it from Google and, <laughs> and all this stuff. And he's like, I will write you a check for three times the amount of glass And if I scratch it or I do anything to it that you don't like, you can cash that check. And I was like, all right, well, I mean, just tell me about what you're doing. And so he tells me about what he's doing with agriculture and and helping to feed these kids in Africa. And I'm like, I mean, this is a great story. This is a great cause. Like, sure. So he takes him. He comes back. Nothing's wrong with him. Bruce and I just become friends. And he starts, you know, learning more about what I was doing. And I was still at Verizon at the time, but started my own company. And he was like, have you ever thought about building infrastructure for agriculture. And I'm like, not really, but I did it at the edge in the military. I mean, I know all about trying to spin up communications in the middle of nowhere. So long story short, we get invited to the John Deere Developers Conference at the World Food Prize building in Des Moines, Iowa. And I think it was November of 2013. And they said, hey, would you guys come up and bring this Google Glass? Because I had appeared in a couple of news articles in the AJC here in Atlanta Bruce had reached out to uh, uh, some people at Successful Farming Magazine that he knew from when he used to work at Agco, and they were like, could you guys come on up? I think we became known as the two dudes with glass or something. It was really weird. So we we go up there, and after, like, day two, they said, hey, would you guys get up and talk about these things? So we did. And it just it turned into, after we got up and spoke about it for, like, maybe 45 minutes to an hour, everybody was – coming up to us afterwards. Like after you speak at a conference and everybody wants to come up and ask you questions. And they're like, can I see it? Can I try it on? Yeah, absolutely. How does it work? And Bruce sort of went one way looking at voice and the heads up display and, and, and capturing. And I went towards imagery, kind of what I you know, what I experienced back in the military. And 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 I was like, this could really be a great hands-free tool. To simplify jobs like crop scouting, right and so that was really how it started, and that's how it kind of got in agriculture I We did actually end up building some infrastructure. Uh, we built some wireless infrastructure on research facilities for Syngenta across the United States, but ultimately that part of the business I shut down in 2018 to focus 100 percent solely on, on farm wave.
0: For those that are trying to wrap their heads around this, what was it about Google Glass that you thought had this type of potential for crop scouting, et cetera?
1: So it was really – I mean, it was like it was almost turnkey. I mean, you could say, OK, Glass, take a picture, and then it it just would. And then, OK, Glass, send it to, you know, whomever, and, and, and it would send it. And I think my favorite feature was Google Maps right in my eye while I was driving down the road. It just, it worked really well for what it did. It was not the greatest battery life. You know, later on, it went to do a whole lot more. And I know it got a lot of criticism in the consumer world, especially around privacy and, you know, are people spying on me and all that kind of stuff. I never really looked at it from a consumer perspective. My mind went straight to enterprise. It went straight to, you know, before thinking about it, in uh, agriculture, it went straight to industrial IoT, manufacturing lines, anomaly detection, part identification, even some of my background, Department of Defense, and, you know, how could this be used as an application in the military? My head never really went towards the consumer side. I did wear it all around a lot, but because I was doing a lot of testing with it, and people looked at me really weird, but uh, it worked really well. And You know, then we got into the the next version, which was stronger, better components internally and the processing speed and the RAM and the storage. And, you know, it would fold like a pair of glasses. And when it did, it went into hibernation mode to save on battery. So it worked really, really well for what it did. Was it as powerful as some of the other sort of AR, VR tech out there? No, it wasn't. But it was light. It was easily portable just very sort of streamlined, you know, which is something Google's pretty good at. And I'm, I, I really like, it just worked pretty
0: well. There's a couple of things I love about this so far, but number one is your story is like you became the Google glass guy, uh, because you were like an enthusiast for Google glass, right? I mean, you were never in a Google employee. You just really got into the product and shared and, and brought it to these new contexts like agriculture, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. No, I was never an employee for Google. I was never paid by them for anything, As a matter of fact, I had to go to New York, like pay my own way to go to New York City to the Chelsea office and get the pair of Google Glass. I could just tell you that I was standing in the dining room in my house. It was about 1130 at night, and I got this invitation from Google, and I was checking out Glass. And the concept of Google Glass was actually started by Dr. Thad Starner, who was a PhD at Stanford, but also worked here at Georgia Tech. And Larry and Sergey approached Thad who actually for years was walking around with these, like, goggles on his face with cables. Can I do a CPU in a backpack? I mean, he thought people looked at me weird with Google Glass. People looked at him like, (laughs) what is this guy doing, right? But Larry and Sergey saw it, and so that's how Google Glass came about. I don't know. I just had this vision on what this could do. And when I got into it, and especially when I got into agriculture, that was when I really realized what I had done in my military days was not being applied at all in agriculture, almost nowhere.
0: And what convinced you, because there was still a period of time between that developers conference and when you went kind of full-time with FarmWave, what ultimately convinced you that you needed to go all in with FarmWave? So, you know, I,
1: I, I traveled a lot and I was just afforded the opportunity to show glass to a lot of people all around the world. There's a YouTube video out there that a lot of people have seen and asked me about, I put it on President Emmanuel Macron, the president of France. I was asked to come over there, speak at a conference. Could I bring those, talk about sort of the wearable technology, right? And then we started getting in the boom talk of wearables. So I did. I, I got permission from Google to take it out of the United States and into Europe because it wasn't offered there yet. But they said, yeah, you can go. You just can't leave it there. It can't be out of your sight, that sort of thing. So I got to show it to a lot of people. And in agriculture... I just had tons of people coming up to me, telling me how they could use this. And it led to a lot of different pilot projects. You know, uh, one we did in conjunction with Google uh, with Zoetis, which was, um, could we estimate the weight of sows on a pig farm? And so we built an application that if you're familiar with, you know, the, the movies where if they have a... Crime scene, and there's a dead body, and they have the chalk outline, right? Essentially, we looked at the visual spectrum that glass would produce of the object on, you know, I think it was out 20 feet by eight feet wide, and sort of that space distance kind of thing. And then we mathematically put that into a whole segment of these chalk outlines that started smaller and just got bigger. And when you could snap a picture of a, of a sow broadside, it would find which one it fit in the best. And when it did, it gave you the estimation of the weight. So we started building that for Zoetis. You know, people were just talking about from animal healthcare, veterinarians being able to, you know, dictate notes while they're using both of their hands to work on an animal, whether they're birthing a calf or, or whatever it might be. There were just so many use cases. And I really just started to get this passion for how could we use this in agriculture to really make a lot of jobs easier, smarter, faster. And, you know, I went into the military to be part of something that was bigger than myself and good for humanity and agriculture was doing that as well. So there was, there was a lot of interest in people like, Oh, could we do this? Could we do that? Yeah, we probably can. Like there's, all kinds of things you can do, right, with with tech. And I think today when we talk on a more broad scale of technology, it's like Kurzweil's law of accelerating returns. Tech can do pretty much anything you want today. You have to figure out how to build it and who's paying for it. (laughs) And and you can probably do it. So there was a lot of interest from plant breeding companies. Um, We did a a pilot project with one of the big seed companies with Google Glass. Uh, That's a case study on our website. We did another one on kernel counting, just all kinds of different things.
0: And I think the pig example is a great place to start because you're only talking about size. Like you said, you basically, and correct me if I'm using the wrong phrasing here, but you you teach the AI based on these various chalk outlines based on size to connect those to to weight so that you could take a picture of the size. It tells you the weight. I think that's a good place to start because we can all kind of wrap our heads around that Where it gets a little more complicated is if you're talking about like a crop disease where it's not just bigger or smaller. It's like color and shape. And in the midst of these different canopies that all have different architectures, there's just a whole lot more variables there, right? Is that kind of getting to the hard part about building true AI that actually serves a purpose? It is. You're
1: absolutely right. When when you
0: start looking at,
1: okay, I want to look at disease detection on corn. And you want to differentiate between common rust and southern rust? Oh, my gosh. I mean, we, we actually did that. It took thousands of images of each one and hours and hours of training between the two different classifiers to be able to have the system recognize that difference. And then you get into lighting issues and angle. And this leaf was greener than that leaf, you know, even though it presented the uh, classifiers of the disease on it. and you know zoom and how close you get the very first app we built it was almost like a training app we had an outline of a rectangle in the screen on your phone and you literally would take your your hand and get in on the leaf to where the leaf would fill that rectangle and then take a picture it was like training people you know hey take a picture from here then when it came to counting kernels on an ear of corn we took a, a, a red reticle or looked like a laser right down the middle of the screen. And you lined that up on a row, and then you would take a picture. Would count the kernels in the ear of corn, Rotate it 180 degrees. Do it again, and it would give you a, a count. So it's just a very repetitive process when you're doing these things. You know, the other thing is what made us a little bit different from others was starting a database from scratch. Now, could we have gone out and tapped into Google's ImageNet? You know, or just even the public web, and started looking for imagery to scrape the internet. Yeah, we could have, but there's too many anomalies in that. There's there's too many things that are outcast. One example was we we actually worked with the University of Georgia for a little while. They wanted to partake in all of this, and they have what was called the Consortium for Internet Imagery Database System. It's 20 years of imagery they had. Now, from then this was 2014, 2015. 20 years ago, we barely even had flip phones and the pictures were awful. So it was kind of like the first 10 years, throw those away. And then after that, we had a lot of imagery, but, you know, it would be somebody who took a picture of a crop from five feet away and their F-150 was in the background. Okay, well, that's no good. We got to get that out of there. And so we thought we could scrape the internet for imagery and then spend twice as much time cropping and cutting and augmenting imagery to get all these things in the background out, or train our app to guide people to take the best picture, and let's just start from scratch. And that's what we did, because accuracy is important, especially in agriculture. So if we take a picture and we say that's northern corn leaf blight, we want it to be accurate. We want it to be right. Now, I don't think today, and I don't think for a while, anyone will take AI at full face value, nor should they. But what if a farmer took a picture, oh, it's northern corn leaf blight. ordered his input, had it sprayed, and we were wrong. So accuracy was super important. And so we were like, you know what, nothing really exists out there dedicated to plant pathology. We're going to build our own. And so that's what we did. It took us about seven and a half years you know, to get to where we are today to build that out. And now that database has millions of images, and still it's really just the crops of corn, beans, wheat, cotton, canola, tomatoes, and a few other things.
0: And who took all those images? Is this an app you gave to like researchers or, you know, how did that physically happen?
1: So a lot of it was us. A lot of it was us just going out in the field and taking pictures. But we had 16 universities and two research facilities helping as well that wanted to be part of it. Some people uh, in France, uh, the INRA over in France, the USDA here in the United States, University of Georgia, University of Illinois. I don't know. There a lot, a lot of universities. <laughs>
0: Right. And now with that database, you actually can, you know, train AI to effectively identify these diseases. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. We had diseases and pests in those crops that I mentioned. We have, I don't know the exact count today. You know, the handheld app is is free. We It's just out there for free. We have thousands of users in the Middle East, India, and Asia that use it today. It's a web-based app, and we did it that way for Access in developing countries, and we did it for browser translation tools, um, which was a bit of a shortcut from us having to go in and run translation uh, for all these different languages. It's not perfect, but it's better than nothing. Let's just use kind of the browser-based language translators. So it is a web app, and um, it's free today. It's it's kind of used all over the world. In the crops that we use it in, we get a lot of people trying it in other crops like, oh, bananas, click. You know, we don't have an acre banana, so it's just going to give you a a null classifier. And people are like, oh, when will it work in Asian pears, blueberries, bananas, acre nut? I don't know (laughs) when we get around to it.
0: (laughs) And so they're using it to identify their own diseases. But in the early days, it wasn't quite ready to do that. How did you get it to the point where you had enough images where you thought, okay, I can confidently say go out and use this to identify your, you know, corn blight? Once
1: we started testing it, taking pictures and we saw like 86, 90, 92% accuracy ongoing, we were like, okay, we can push this particular crop and this particular disease, you know, to the app and just let it go from there. And then the more pictures people take and use it, those are retained, anonymized and put back in the system for training data, which is automatic.
0: Very interesting, I like starting with the example of of the plant pathology because I think it's something everyone can sort of wrap their mind around, but definitely the take home here you know so far is yeah, Google Glass was cool and it was great, and it kind of launched into this but but the hardware isn't really the hard part, right? It's what you do with the images that you can take with something like Google Glass or any other camera
1: exactly. We got asked a lot, oh, do you have to have Google Glass for this no. Does it matter how you get your imagery? Not at all. Can come from a satellite, can come from a drone, can come from a DSLR camera, can come from your phone. It doesn't really matter. It was just the vehicle of getting the imagery and getting it to the cloud. And and I think I think in the early years, drones was the number one question everybody asked. Will this work with drones? It will. I think the hard part there was actually, again, on the hardware side, the drone. Who's using them realistically? You know how well or how good is the camera on that? Can it get close enough to get a good quality picture without creating a bunch of rotor wash and blowing the you know the thing all over the place? It was mostly hardware based around the drone had the limitations, but the answer was, yes, it will work with the drone satellite, however, it
0: doesn't matter. Okay. So you've gone to great lengths to collect these images. I mean, to create an app that basically helps you collect images and validates it through universities, you know, all of these images, I guess we don't need to single anyone out here, but, but there's a lot of companies out there saying like, we use AI to do this. We use AI to do that. I mean, it doesn't seem like they, you know, they pop up one day and they're like an AI company. Where are they getting all of the images and all the data to actually validate that they're, you know, actually doing this accurately?
1: Yeah. So, I, you know, I I won't use any names, but there are some that they're using Google ImageNet. Now, according to Google's terms and conditions of using ImageNet, it is illegal for you to commercialize on that. It's for research purposes only. So anybody that's doing that, uh, they're not supposed to. (laughs) Um, We've also had a lot of big name companies in agriculture go to a lot of these people and then come back to us and say, yeah, theirs didn't work. And yours did. We we had a, a very big name seed company that we were working with in 2016, 2017. That at the same time they were working with us, they were working with IBM Watson. And they said Watson doesn't do anything they say it can do. Not not in agriculture anyway, in plant pathology. And they said yours Actually works. So, you know, there are some companies out there doing some great work and they're, they're, they're doing some similar things to what we're doing. We don't really see it as competitive. We see it as there's, there's enough for everybody. We've prided ourselves on sort of the slow, long road of, yep, we didn't get to market as fast as somebody else in all these different crops or, or whatever, but ours is accurate and it's really accurate every time in the crops that we list and say that we, we work in. And, you know, one of our company core values is just transparency. We are not going to tell you that we work in something we don't in. And in AI today, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors out there. And there's a lot of, oh, we're an AI company. Okay. I would say anybody that is thinking about artificial intelligence for their organization, part of their digital transformation, AI is not something you can just sort of try. You need to go all in. Now, that doesn't mean you need to go all in billions of dollars. You know, you have to pick a problem that you want to solve for. and You have to go all in. That is a very big difference in working in AI than just some other software as a service. You have to put the time and energy into it. And anyone that is that is thinking about doing this and thinking about working with a vendor, when they say they can do something, I would say, prove it. Prove to me that it works uh, because we got that a lot. And to show that we had some skin in the game, we would go to where they were, go out there and show them for free. But stand there in the field and be like, yeah, it's going to do what we say it can do. And it does. And that's sort of been a, a differentiator between FarmWave and, and some other companies. of, You know, ours actually works.
0: And this is only one part of your business. Another one I definitely want to talk about is harvest loss. So uh, maybe set the scene for us on this harvest loss problem and how, you know, your technology can help.
1: Yeah, sure. The, the harvest loss is probably the most valuable piece that we have today. Um, it started about a year ago, July of 2019. We were asked, can you solve for harvest loss? Maybe what's that? well, It's the grain left behind in the field after the combine goes through. Well, we wanted to figure out how big of a problem this is. Turns out in 2019 in just the United States and just corn, it was a $1.4 billion problem. It's huge. Okay. How do you do it now? Well, we stop the combine. We get out. We mark off an area with like a one foot by one foot square. We pull the chaff and everything away. We count the kernels that are left there and then we kind of do the math based off the acreage. Like, how long does that take? Uh, 20 to 30 minutes. How often do you do that? Maybe once a season. A lot of people just don't do it. When we were at InfoAg last year, somebody came up to us and told us, you know, this is primarily my job, is optimize farmers' machinery to reduce loss, because they just don't do this. Nobody has time for that, especially if... Rain's coming or or, or whatever. they got to get this out of the field. We don't have time to stop every so often and do this half-hour deal. So we got together as a team and we said, well, you know the tool that we have for counting the kernels on an ear of corn to help predict yield, or the tool we built for the Dijon Cereals Cooperative in, in France on counting wheat seedlings in the ground in a 10-meter by 10-meter area? Can we repurpose that to count kernels coming off the combine? Well, the AI will work. We just got to figure out a piece of hardware to collect the imagery. So that was July of 2019. By October, we had a prototype machine out in the field. By November, we were demoing it for just about every major OEM uh, dealers in the Midwest and growers. By the new year of 2020, February, we were down in Brazil for 21 days with an OEM. And then we went to market this year with a uh, uh, just a specified amount of pieces of the hardware for the early adopters program. And we repurposed our counting algorithms to look at loss off the header and off the back of the machine. Right now, the stats that we have show that the average grower in corn will see three to five more bushels per acre, anywhere from five to seven more bushels per acre in soybeans. If you have an average two thousand acre farm, you're looking at sixty eight to seventy thousand dollar return.
0: And that is just from uh, being alerted of the loss that's coming off the combine so that you could adjust your settings as you're harvesting in real time uh, to make sure that you don't lose as much.
1: Correct. Right now, uh, this works at the edge. No cloud connectivity required. Works in corn and soybeans. We collected data for wheat this year. We're going to be pushing small grains out next year. Magnet mount, no wires. It's its own wireless infrastructure. Right, this goes back to the Verizon days, right? And the guys on my team are background. We're not us or ag, we're all technologists, we all come from you know non-ag backgrounds, but putting this stuff to use here, going, we're gonna build our own wireless network so we can have a hub in or by the cab, and it talks to the AI modules. There's usually one on each side of the header and one in the back of the machine. I'm gonna pull this data, put it on an iPad app, which comes up in the cab in real time. Each AI module is taking a picture every five seconds. So here's the big question we get asked all the time. Yeah, but can you see what's underneath the chaff? No, we didn't build x-ray vision. We can't see what's underneath the chaff. But when you do the hand count model and you can pull away the chaff, how many times are you doing it? Right? Maybe once a season, if at all. FarmWave does it 144 times an acre.
0: I mean, it's it sounds like a home run. I think the big question with this is, is the go-to market to try to Get the farmers from a grassroots to say, "Yeah, we need this," and or is the go-to-market to say, "How can we get this integrated with the uh, the equipment manufacturer so that it it shows up on every you know new combine?"
1: Right now, it's both. Uh, right now, we've got a lot of the growers saying, "You know, I see this as an aftermarket piece. I want this as soon as possible. How much are you charging for a unit? Let me know." With a big pouring. You know, of interest from Canada and small grains. And we're working on that. And the Canadian growers are really excited about this for 2021. When we launched small grains, they're just like, nope, I just buy it now and put it on my machine. We are working with some of the OEMs and a lot of them. It kind of depends on how quickly you want it. A lot of people are like, I want this now. This is a game changer. This is, is reactive, right? I can see in real time loss where it's coming from on the machine, how much and make adjustments immediately. A lot of farmers will tell you that we all know succession is a problem in farming, and it's hard to find somebody to show up every day on time and drive the combine, let alone be a skilled operator. So ultimately, we want to get this integrated into the machine and create a fully autonomous system so that when FarmWave sees XYZ, it tells the machine, and the machine without human invention will perform ABC, whether that's slow down the reel, change the pitch of the head, change the threshing speed, deck plates, whatever it might be, and do that. And the OEMs have an interest in that as well. And so we are, you know, in discussions with five of them, five different OEMs on, you know, how this might look from an integration perspective in the future. And in addition to the, the harvest loss, it's also grain quality. And then we took what we did in the handheld app for disease and pest and stand count and growth stage, putting it on sprayers. The same piece of hardware that is on the combine, you'll be able to put on a sprayer. Maybe you'll want to add more AI modules, and we just load a whole new data package. You go into the system when you are on on a network, and you say, "What's the job I'm doing today? Spraying. Cool. What's the make and model of your machine? Boom. Loads the data package. Go put it on the sprayer, and now you can, as you're going through the field, look at growth stage, you know, like crop height, plant count, disease, pest, weed pressure." nozzle performance, and we just started working on application surface area coverage to the point where we can see, measure, and count the droplets coming out of the back.
0: We've only got a few minutes left here, but I would like to hear, you know, what are some common misconceptions about artificial intelligence out there, you know, especially in agriculture that you hear? Are there any that come to top of mind?
1: There's several, and and they are in agriculture, but they're, they're outside of it as well. It, I understand why it's called artificial intelligence, but really it should be automation intelligence because that's what we're kind of doing. And there's this sort of thought that people are going to lose jobs in the future because of AI. No, that's not true. If anything, it's going to create new jobs. But AI is really good at, you know, performing tasks that are repetitive and need to be performed in a matter of seconds, when a human can't be available. It, it's, it's creating automations. That's what we're doing. You know, there's often, we, we get, and this is a really sticky subject in, in agriculture with, with data and data privacy and data rights and who owns the data. You know, our privacy policy and terms and conditions are clear. All of our clients, they own the data. Imagery is anonymized, and we use it to better train the system on our end. We use nothing else. After that image is anonymized, we don't even know where who it came from. But we've worked with some people who are, you know, well, if I gave you data and you built a model, then I own that model. Not really. I, I tell people, think of it like a car. FarmWave built this engine and the data is like the fuel that makes it go. Everything else, what color it is, panels, doors, seats, tires, wheels, who cares? That could be anything. We built this engine. Now, if you feed it data, it goes. Ours goes really well, really fast, and it's really accurate. That's a very specific kind of engine that we built. Do other people have engines? Sure. Are they like ours? No. Can you feed them data and will they go? Yup. Will they win the race? Probably not. Ours will. So it takes a team of people to really make something happen with AI. And we've talked with companies who are like, we have petabytes of data sitting on in storage servers we don't know what to do with. Well, let's make it intelligent. Let's make it intelligent and add value to your company, add value to your customers, add value to the greater good. But then they're like, once we do that, who owns it? Like, oh, my gosh, you guys, you're all just so concerned about who's going to own everything. Like, I, I, I kind of get it, but, you know, it's not a typical software as a service product or service. Like, a- AI is different. And I think the world is going to start figuring that out in the next couple of years. Business models are going to change. Support of a system is going to change. How it is rolled out is going to change. Who owns data is going to change, and it's a very collaborative effort. And this is why I, I said earlier, you can't just. I'm going to try AI. It doesn't really work that way. You've really got to commit to it if accuracy is important and you want to do it and you want to do it right. Just the reason why FarmWave has been doing this for seven years, but we have done it very carefully and and taken our time doing it to do it right. And we've been told. You know, we have had a ton of people. You're going to come out here and put this thing on my combine in less than five minutes and it's going to work? Yeah. They just, Tim, they don't believe it. I mean, it's it's, it's kind of funny. We come out there and we open this box and they're like, yeah, yeah right. This ought to be good. You it know? looks like a GoPro. Yeah, it looks like a <laughs> GoPro. Oh, and, I, and I've had people out here. I've had Microsoft out here, Google out here. Yeah, their stuff still sitting over in the corner. So this should be good. But it works. And they get kind of mesmerized like oh my gosh, do you know what this could could mean? And we're like, we do, but it's not going to happen overnight, right? We, we, we got to get there. And what is the best way to get there? Is it aftermarket to the farmers? Is it integrated into the machines? You know, I'll be honest, we're still kind of figuring that out because it depends. But if we want to get it integrated with the machines, then we're going to have to work well with the OEMs. And it's going to take a lot of work on their part and our part you know, it's going to be a collaborative effort. And um, I think that these kinds of things just need to be realized when you're working with AI companies and from those that, you know, the end user using it. I mean, this isn't pixie dust and unicorn farts. You don't just wave something and it works like this takes a lot of a lot of training. Now, FarmWave has reduced that training to less than 50 images, and that's part of our trade secret, but it still requires us to have an in-depth knowledge of your problem. If we're going to truly automate machinery, then if you have loss coming off the right side of the header, we need to know what are all the steps you would take to fix that. It's a decision tree. and We've got to build it out. It takes time.
0: Definitely. I, I really like the fuel and the engine analogy because the way it feels to me right now in agriculture is everybody is hoarding fuel because they think it has value and very few people are building an engine. And really, it only has value to the people who have an engine.
1: That's it. And, and you know, we need fuel for the engine to add value. And if you don't have an engine, your fuel's not going to be worth anything.
0: And that—that's how it feels. It feels like everybody's talking about how important data is and how valuable it is, and nobody's doing anything with it. Yeah, I mean, not nobody, but very few.
1: Right. Yeah. And then some people are—they're worried about the seats that are going to go in the car. Like, geez, so is. Like, well, we can worry about that later. You know, let's let's get the important stuff going, and it's a challenge.
0: Man, I really appreciate this. I mean, I think, first of all, I think a lot of people are going to better understand AI as a result of this conversation. Second of all, I can't see how you could not leave the conversation excited about FarmWave and what you're doing. So anything else we didn't get to, though, that you were hoping to at least mention before I let you get on with your day?
1: I think the only thing I would add, you know, look, if you're a grower and you're thinking about scaling up your digital capabilities, your precision ag, if somebody's not willing to come out to your farm, And literally prove to you what they're doing, I'd be hesitant on working with that company. Every single farmer we have talked to, if we can afford to get out there on their farm, we'd out there and show them. And look, AI is kind of new for the world, not even just agriculture. So I get that it's hard for people to believe. So we have told people, we have to validate this. We get that. You can't just take Farmway's word for it. Now, I believe we did that this year, and word is spreading, and farmers are talking. And they're saying, you know, holy crap, you see what these Georgia boys did? They came all the way up here and showed me this thing, and I'll be damned it did exactly what they said it was going to do. Is it perfect? No, it's not perfect yet. We're still working on it, but it does it. And I think if you don't have anybody willing to do that, I don't know that I would take them seriously.
0: Thanks so much to Craig Gansel for being on the show. Uh, Go check out what they're doing over there at FarmWave on their website, FarmWave.io, and also on Twitter. They're just at FarmWave. What a great episode there. I hope you're leaving with a better understanding or at least appreciation for artificial intelligence in agriculture. Hey, if this podcast is bringing you any value, I'd sure appreciate a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you don't have the opportunity on your podcast player to leave a review, uh, shoot, just send us a message. Getting feedback from you all has really been helpful for me this year in deciding what content to produce, and I'm sure it will be equally helpful in 2021. If you're listening when this comes out, Merry Christmas. Thanks so much for your time and your attention. I really don't take it lightly. I'll be back next week with the final episode of the year. I think it's going to be another good one, so please tune in for more stories of ag innovation.